Welcome back to another episode of Nicky Manny's Infinite Podcast. This week, we're going to have part two of my James Bond discussion with Bobby from Bobcat. We are going to discuss all five Daniel Craig movies, and that includes a full in-depth spoiler review of No Time to Die. So if you haven't seen No Time to Die by now, just be warned that we will go into everything in that movie from start to finish with full spoilers. You've been warned. All right, we're going to jump right back into it with Casino Royale. Hope you guys enjoy. We had another break after this movie, I think four years. They got rid of Pierce Brosnan in the role, and they brought in, very controversially at the time, because he was blonde, Bobby. They brought I in know. Daniel Craig I as was, James Bond. I, you know, you were young at this point. I was, Yeah, I didn't, um, didn't know or care, really. I was 15, and just more getting into, like, I had never seen a Bond movie in theaters at that point, mm-hmm. even though I had seen all the movies at the end. I just remember when he was cast, the very early stages of like internet backlash happened. Yep. Uh, and I heard all about it. It's like this blonde haired, blue eyed guy cannot be James Bond. Um, and this whole thing. <laughs> and my dad and I were like laughing at it. We're like, that's crazy. Like, what do, what are they talking uh-huh. about type of thing? And like, he looks cool. And this is one of my most memorable theater experiences in my life uh-huh. because of the time I saw it and the fact that this is now one of my like favorite movies of all time. Yep. Yeah, we are in total agreement on Casino Royale. One of my most memorable theater experiences also, and I didn't see it in theaters until about two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was able to see it before No Time to Die came out, and it was just, just magical to see it on that big screen. Specifically, the gun barrel sequence in this movie, it's which is awesome. uh, we haven't we haven't talked about. It's different. They don't start mm-hmm. the movie with it. Bond turns around to shoot an assassin who's trying to kill him. You you stare down the barrel of the gun. He shoots. The sound in the theater when that when that mm-hmm. bullet came out was incredible. And the the blood comes down the screen. It transitions into what I think. Fuck you, Harley. Is an amazing Chris Cornell song. I love. I love the Chris you, Cornell song you know goes with this movie. You know my name. The sound of the bullet. The transition to the song that I love so much. I got goosebumps. I ch- I got choked up a little bit. Like. This is one of my favorite movies and seeing it on the big screen with finally 15 years later. It's just, it was just incredible. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie happened, which was almost perfect from start to finish. I think this is yeah. by far to me, the best movie of the series. Um, it's got the best storytelling. I think it has the best characterization, just everything about this movie works. Oh yeah. I mean, it's one of the few times that a studio made a movie in a response to a trend or another movie franchise yep. Uh, which obviously was the Bourne franchise at this point. And it, yeah, and it Bourne and Batman worked. Begins kind of together. Well, yeah, but I mean, in this aspect for Bond, it was more grounded, more brutal. They avoided what they, you know, the problems that could come with it. And they didn't use, you know, extended shaky cam or anything to try to do the exact action from Bourne. They gave Bond a little bit more of a character, you know, than, than Bourne, who you didn't know his memory and all that. But yeah, just the fact that you start the movie in Bond drown someone you know apparently killing him in a sink in a sink um, which is yeah. just brood in in black and white um is a yeah. great opening and then that turns into the gun barrel obviously that's the guy he kills uh-huh. um in the bathroom but then you get into the opening chase scene which is amazingly filmed and the choreography and the the stuntman himself the one uh doing all the free running is is amazing yeah, the, the parkour uh innovator i can't remember his name off the top of my head yeah. but he does all the parkour stunts in this and he plays the character that bond's chasing it's just a phenomenal sequence and again you learn a lot about bond as a character in the way that he chases this guy down so this guy obviously he's got his parkour down that's how he's moving around that's mm-hmm. how he's getting the edge on bond bond is running through walls he's he's using bulldozers to knock everything over to try and stop this guy like that's bond's approach to a to a big chase and 
to see how he he's juxtaposed with the people he's up against throughout this entire movie, I think more than any other movie actually tells you so much about Bond as a character. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it is, in this movie is that he's got a massive ego problem. And from start mm-hmm. to finish, he's chastised by it, especially by the female characters in this movie, by yeah. M and by Vesper. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's his arc. And he goes through so much in this movie to become ultimately the Bond that he becomes. And I just I love everything about this movie and how it handles that character. And real quick, what I was going to mention oh, yeah. with the opening sequence, some of the best like visual story, like not, not just visual storytelling, but just some of the best storytelling happens in those five to ten minutes in the opening, because you're told that he needs two kills to to get his double O status. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets the one and then he gets the guy in the bathroom. I guess technically they happen in the other order. Yeah. Uh, but then that trans- transitions into the opening sequence where you see all the people you're going to encounter throughout the film. You get the the poker theme, everything like that. And then you see that he's becoming 007 in the opening sequence. He's officially earning the title after he gets those two kills. The entire opening sequence is him literally becoming 007. And then the rest of the movie is him truly becoming James Bond as a character. And I think the storytelling just is incredible in this movie. It's the first true reboot of the franchise, obviously, and they, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is Bond's origin story, and I think they did it masterfully. Um, and it hit a lot of it hit a lot of things at the time that one pop culture was very relevant, and two that I was into at the time, which one of them is poker. Poker <laughs> yep. at that time, especially like Texas Hold'em, was finally being broadcast on ESPN as like a mainstream thing. Oh yeah. My parents were hosting poker tournaments every weekend at that time playing Hold'em. Yep. They were watching World Series of Poker on ESPN I every year. I remember watching like, Chris Moneymaker win. It was win. huge. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. That whole thing. Like, I, <laughs> Chris you know, Moneymaker, that yeah. takes me back. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was I was into it I and mean, I played poker with all my friends. So like this was not only a great Bond movie, but I was like riveted by the poker scenes, even though every hand of Bond is like every hand that wins in this movie is like the best hand that you can have. I know. <laughs> I'm honestly like, impressed by the restraint that he didn't win with a Royal flush at the I, end. He yeah, just won with a straight, with flush. A straight flush. I know. <laughs> but um, I do want to talk about that. This is by far my favorite Bond girl in a movie. Uh, Vesper yes. Lind um, played by Ava Green. And she's, she is Bond's equal. In this movie, mm-hmm. uh, Bond is obviously pretty inexperienced as a, you know, as an agent at this point, and Vesper is pretty much his handler. She has the money. She and even though Bond has to take care of her at points, especially after she witnesses all the murders in the hallway, uh, she never yeah. seems like Bond like she's below Bond in any way. No, she's always his equal or above him, and she's just a great character, especially when you find out what is happening with her with the whole blackmail essentially that she's under. It, it really when you rewatch the movie, it puts a whole new light on her character. Yeah, and I'm, again, talking about storytelling, that opening scene between them where they both like size each other up literally and figuratively mm-hmm. pretty much recount the other person's life story. They can tell just by little things. They can tell exactly who they are. They yeah, tear each yeah. other apart. They tear them down, each other down perfectly. You get that dynamic immediately, and it's only it only gets better as the movie goes on. Yeah, there, there's a reason that they try to bring back Vesper um, and they do bring back her successfully finally, as far as a, a story point for this James Bond moving forward, because she really stands out and really forms this Daniel Craig Bond that we know. I think we uh, should also mention Mads Mikkelsen oh, as the chief in this movie. Yeah. He's not a Bond villain in the traditional sense. It's actually funny how pathetic he ultimately is as a character. Like, it's interesting. That's an interesting twist to take on a Bond villain. Again, kind of going off how grounded the series had become. He's just desperate. 
throughout yeah, this that's entire the word. movie. I was about to say that word and I was waiting. I'm like, you're, I think you're about to say what I'm going to say. He is very <laughs> yeah. desperate. And it's and it works because he would essentially be like what maybe one of the henchmen or like a side mission would be in a lot of the other movies. Yeah. Um, he's not the big head of an organization or anything. He's, you know, he owes money. And he's in trouble and he's and Bond is essentially trying to pin him down by taking out the money that he needs to survive. It's just it's almost feels like a throwaway line ultimately. But Vesper's line about how if Bond loses, he's literally funding terrorism. Yeah. It's just again, that's kind of if, if anything kind of falls apart about this premise, the fact that the government would stake someone in a poker game like that, uh, that would r- run the risk of uh, directly tying them back to funding terrorist attacks. I don't know if that would if that would happen if they would leave a paper trail like that. Um, but right. again, it's a movie, and yeah. I think you're allowed. You're allowed a couple of these things. There's some leaves of logic, and also some weird time alterations, I guess, and the the whole poker sequence as well. But again, the movie as a whole works so well that that stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah, and you get you know twists on the series that you've never had, where uh, even just the little Bond tropes, like you want it shaken or stirred. I don't get. Does it look like I give a damn? Uh, okay, a okay. Here, here's one thing I'll say about that. I think he normally would take that but because he just got knocked out of the game and yeah. he's so shaken i think that's why he says no it's not that this bond just doesn't care oh, about I that i think he's i don't think it's just them subverting it to, sub- to subvert it i think he's so shaken that that's why it happens and i think no that's intended. why i was about to say like that's why it works because there are ways that a lot of movies say we're completely changing the formula and they just have the character do something opposite just because um they made it make sense because of that yeah, because even earlier, because even he orders the very complicated drink that he names Vesper earlier, uh-huh. like he clearly is very much into it and would. But you you expect him to say the shaken, not stirred, stirred line. And uh, when that moment comes up, it actually would not make sense for him to say it. So, yep. you know, it, it's a good twist and a good way to to kind of change the formula. And then as we get near the close of the movie, we get that incredible torture scene with yeah. uh, Bond and Lashif. Oh he, he gets whipped in the balls again and again. He says he's got a little itch because he just won't give up the information. An incredible performance by Daniel Craig. Again, the desperation of Lashif in that scene. Yeah. Matt Nicholson is sweating so profusely in that scene. It's 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 amazing. And then they kind of surprise you. They kill off the villain pretty much at the end of the second act. The main yeah. villain is pretty much gone. And then you have another half hour of movie left that ultimately... Like the three act structure of this movie is such that each each like forty minutes or so, uh, give it uh, maybe fifty minutes or so, is very distinct. Mm-hmm. And that once you get into the third act here, the second act is the whole poker game in Montenegro. The third act is a love story, and that turns into a tragic love story very quickly. Bond and Vesper finally get together and all that, and then we ultimately learn that Vesper has betrayed him because of blackmail on the part of, I guess, Spectre overall. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a tragic ending. She ultimately ends up dying and. It hardens Bond to a degree that his cold delivery of the bitch is dead in in that last uh, conversation with M. It's great. Like, he's broken at that point, and he's trying the best he can to... It's changed him permanently, but he's also so so vulnerable, and he's trying everything he can to appear that he's not. And I love Judi Dench's reaction to that line, where you you know that she knows how much Bond's hurting, but Mm -hmm. she's not going to not acknowledge it to him, but you can see it on her face. And it's a, it's just yeah. really great, and I I really love that. And I love her moment where she says that he's finally learned his lesson when he learned not to trust anybody. Yep, yeah, they they have some great great interactions for sure. This is the most personal relationship out of any of the M Bond relationships uh, that we get in any of the the Bond like runs of actors. Yeah, and then the final scene gives me goosebumps every time, pumps me up so much. 
You don't yeah. you don't get the Bond theme throughout the entire movie. You don't get him saying his name to people in yeah. the same way that, he, you know, the classic way. Uh, final line of the movie, he tells Mr. White what his name is. His name is Bond, James Bond. That theme finally kicks in yeah. that you go right into the credits. It's just the most yeah. energizing after, way to end the movie ever. After taking out his knee with a, yeah. with a machine gun. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love that. And looking up at Bond with machine gun on his shoulder, getting the Bond mm-hmm. theme. Names Bond, James Bond is the perfect ending to set up James Bond going forward. Like, and how I said the opening sequence is how he becomes 007. The end of the movie is him becoming James Bond. I think they're distinct in that way. Um, but that's just a perfect ending to, I guess, I would say a perfect movie, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could. This is my number one, if you can't tell, everybody. My, me too. And it's one of my, <laughs> like I said it before, it's one of my favorite movies just of all time. I, I watch this all yep. the time. I could yep. probably do a three hour. I mean, we're almost, you know, we're at like two hours and whatever. Right now, I could probably fill up this entire time talking about Casino Royale, but uh, I'll hold back and just say, please watch it if you haven't. Just <laughs> go watch the movie. Highest endorsement I can possibly give. Yeah. I think, honestly, think I told Kat and Emmanuel this a couple weeks ago. I think this, if anything, could make them enjoy a Bond movie, or if any Bond movie would work for them, I think this is the one. And I would recommend that to pretty much anybody. For sure. It's it's one that breaks the formula in a great way and still mm-hmm. gets the character right. And yep. anyone who's turned off by the idea of James Bond and the old school movies and kind of the tropes uh, should watch this movie just to get a sense of just just for I mean, even just the film, filmmaking in general, like it, it's it's fantastic. And I would just recommend it for for anyone to watch. It's an incredible deconstruction yeah. of the myth of that character. For sure. Um, and especially if you're turned off by the myth of that character, like you said. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, uh, we have a direct sequel next up. The first, I think the first time a Bond movie ever did that. We have Quantum of Solace, which is kind of a fascinating to look back on. Some people really love this movie. My brother, who, like I said, is probably a bigger Bond fan than I am, loves this movie and thinks it's huh. one It's one of his favorite Bond movies. And I just don't see it. I, I'm not a fan. I, I, yeah. I rewatched the first... 45 minutes or so um, after I watched Casino Royale a couple weeks ago. And I mean, just the editing alone in this movie turned like makes yeah. me want to turn it off. Uh, you know? Yeah. It, I can't, I can't enjoy the action because it's so, it's so quick cutty. Like it's so shaky. Like you, you can barely make anything out. There's the opening uh, car chase in this movie uh, is just nauseating to watch. I, I think Mark Forster, the director of this one, he kind of tried to go in a bit of an artsier direction with like the title cards and everything like that. And I think that he had took some of that approach to his action. Um, I think in I can understand a director saying like, I want you to feel the frantic nature of this moment in this action scene. But I think there's limits and you still have to be able as a viewer, you should be able to to tell what's going on. And you don't in this movie, pretty much most of the action. Mark Forrester is a very interesting director. I don't know if he would have. I don't think he's really the right choice for a Bond movie in general. I didn't know who he was really at the time. But now, you know, know, Finding Neverland. And then um, I've watched Stay again because of Chris Stuckman which is an interesting movie, but it's, uh, yeah, he, he said he's not, he was not a Bond fan and, yeah. and you don't need to be a fan to direct <laughs> no, not necessarily. A, a movie, but you could really feel that he really know what to do with the character, um, no. or the action, honestly. I mean, obviously really, but, uh, what this movie really suffered from, and which we haven't touched on yet, is the writer's strike. Yes. Yeah, and in 2007, early 2008, they're filming this movie fairly close to the November 08 uh, release that it had, and that ultimately bit him in the ass because they ran out of time. I think Daniel Craig tells the story that he was literally writing pages in his trailer overnight yeah. and then turning them in the next day, and they were filming them. Like, clearly they didn't have the time to work through this movie the way they needed to, and I think it shows. Yeah, but I also think a lot of this movie just conceptually 
doesn't work. I like the idea of a direct sequel, especially because Casino Royale did a good job establishing with Mr. White this secret organization that he works for. But I think what Quantum ultimately ends up being is just kind of nothing. Yeah. Like, I don't have a problem with the uh, Matthew Elmerich character, the main villain. He's just boring. uh, Not having like a disfigurement. Yeah, he's, uh, this oh, is the movie I was referring to earlier where they took a real life thing that happened, like a uh, water crisis, and I think Bolivia is where this movie's yeah. set. Um, so. Yeah, like a real thing that actually happened that they thought, wow, this was this is so this is so ridiculous, and I can't believe it actually happened. We're going to put it in a Bond movie, and people are going to think it's too ridiculous to be true, even though it actually happened a little while before this. I like that, but the movie just doesn't do that much interesting with it. You don't even learn that it's ultimately a water scheme until the last act. No. You think it's about oil the entire way through. Like You talk about movies dragging for the Bond movies in the middle. There's a whole section yeah. in this movie of Bond investigating that you don't really... There, no. it's, he's going back and forth to this uh, like harbor or whatever it is, um, and it's just... Nothing's really happening. It's just filling time. Nope. Um, and Bond Bond is observing like from way back from a distance of pretty much all these characters that we need to see. They're all interacting with each other on the villain side of things. You have Matthew Almarek again, mm-hmm. uh, the the general who I don't remember his name that he's interacting with, who Olga Kurylenko, uh, the Bond girl of this movie, who she has a grudge against. Like it's all there, and it's just like none of it's none of it's engaging in the slightest. This movie is just. It suffered from a lot of different things, and I think they realized it, and they they had a long break because of rights issues, but I think they were able to fix it uh, going into the next movie for sure. Yeah, it's it's far too dull for being the shortest Bond movie that it is. Yeah. It's only like an hour 48, I think, and most Bond movies are around or over two hours. There's some stuff I like in this movie. I do love Daniel Craig in this role. Oh, he's still great. He and, he and Judy Dench's M are still great. The, the rest of the movie around them isn't really up to scratch. Um, I don't think it's terrible. This is in the definitely in the lower half of the series for me. Yeah, it's got some moments. It's got some scenes that I like. I think it, which the entire series does. I think it wastes Jeffrey Wright as Felix. I'll say that. Yeah, it does. And and I love Jeffrey Wright. We didn't talk about him in Casino uh-huh. Royale. I think he he's one of my favorite actors that doesn't get many like massive roles. I know. He, yeah. I didn't watch Westworld, but I know he's on there. But I didn't um, either. Uh, I love Jeffrey Wright when he shows up. Even even just his voice as the Watcher uh, in What If. Like I just like hearing him talk he's got a great voice yeah. but um yeah this movie if no one has seen it the reason the action is so bad is just it's indistinguishable it's indistinguishable you can't real you don't even know who's doing what or where they are yeah. you you know it's like um like the opening scene with the car chase they cut to bond shifting for like 10 times they cut to the side of yeah. the car and they don't really show they you they start to show uh, a villain's car go off the you know in uh, off the rails or whatever and then it cuts back to bond's reaction without really seeing kind of what caused it it's really really bad and then then that leads to another scene where after a villain is revealed uh that he's actually like working for the bad guys there's a there's a chase and you don't even know where the chase is happening uh-huh. or how anyone's yeah. getting anywhere and it keeps cutting to a horse race or whatever it, it is, and it's 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 ridiculous. It it doesn't hold your interest. You're just like, okay, I, I wish I knew what was happening right now because it seems exciting. Like they shot something exciting, but I, I I don't know what it is. Yeah, just the way they chose to structure everything. Maybe that was in the edit. Maybe that was in the shoddy script that they came up with on the fly. 
but even just basic filmmaking stuff like you don't have a sense of geography and what you're doing and i think that's so important just to make sure everything's clear i think a lot of this movie is unclear like just what's going on in general it's not like it's too complex to understand right it's that you're just it's just not nothing's explained well enough and in the action which is obviously important to a movie like a bond movie you don't have your basic sense of spatial awareness and i think that's that's a huge failing of this movie and that's that's what holds it back like a lot of stuff holds it back but like i can't even say that the action sequences are good and that sucks yeah it's unfortunate and i i don't it's not like i i hold any like hate towards this movie or anything it's I just it's just disappointing and you know i just don't revisit it uh very much and i i for one that's a sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time it was just it was just a disappointing watch but i didn't believe being like oh my god that's like the worst movie experience i've ever had it was just like yeah, that just wasn't too great. Yeah, they they took some time off. They waited four years for this. Uh, the next one for the 50th anniversary, we got Skyfall in 2012, which is, I think, almost universally by at least the fandom considered to be pretty top tier. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think it's really good. I wish I liked it more, I guess is what I can say. There's some stuff that holds it back for me. Okay. But I think uh, the filmmaking, the technical aspects are, this is the best that any Bond movie's ever been. The Roger Deakins cinematography, yeah. the, the direction by Sam Mendes, uh, the Thomas Newman score. It's a lot of really good stuff and some great performances pretty much all around. Um, and a script that I think I wish could have been tweaked a little bit. It's really just the script for me. Yeah. I th- again, I think these performances, and I'll get to No Time to Die later, but I think this is a movie where the performances make up for the script a lot for me. People compare this a lot to The Dark Knight in terms of like the very elaborate plan that Silva has yeah. in this movie played by Javier Bardem, uh, which seems like way too much that has to happen perfectly for everything to fall into place. And it all does and all that. Um, that stuff bugs me. And I think this movie drags a little bit in the middle. As the movies got closer to modern day, I feel like I felt that complaint less. But I think the whole Macau sequence and in Shanghai before that kind of drags. And it's where I'm least interested in the movie. And, and I that's understandable. But yeah, I, I really love Skyfall. I think that it is definitely, to me, it's the second best Craig movie. It really, like like you said, it is beautifully shot. I really love the Roger yeah. Deakins cinematography. I think that there are a lot of like convenient things with as far as the actual plot goes with um, yeah. like with with how his plan has to come together, especially at the end, like with the train coming through and all that stuff. But but I can forgive that because I really like all the characters and I and I in some movies I can forgive it and some I can't. And it just depends on how the movie strikes you, basically. Uh, and yeah. this one held my interest the entire way and I was still intrigued by the villain and by their performance. So, you know, that stuff kind of, I believed him as a character, so I believed that this could happen, basically. Yes. I mean, I think Bardem is fantastic. Yeah. That his, his opening scene where it's just one one take, the camera's still, and he's slowly walking from the elevator up to Bond telling that whole story. Yep. Like, that's a great performance. I appreciate the restraint of just doing that one take where they don't move the camera at all. I like all that. I think it's a great introduction. I like his motivation. Uh, it's a great way to... Uh, finally fully bring M in as like a major character, like a truly major character. She's the driving force of the plot in this movie oh, more than sure. Bond is. His vendetta against her, not against Bond. Bond is, uh, Bond is sort of secondary in that yeah, regard. Yeah, he's kind of collateral damage to it. He's the new spy. You know, he's essentially what Bardem, uh, his character was before uh, Silva, like as as M's go-to agent. And we also get the introduction to Moneypenny for the first time in the Bond mm-hmm. series with Naomi Harris. Uh, who ends up shooting Bond in this one? Yep. Um, in the opening scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of. I mean, it's. I don't know. 
I, I kind of like that sometimes not everybody's a perfect field agent, but also I feel like it, it's kind of unfortunate that they like they introduce Money Penny as a field agent and then they immediately uh, resign her to a desk job. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I get it's it. Kinda weird. I get it because that's who Money Penny is. So they were trying to essentially be, you know, this series was supposed to be the origin of all the James Bond tropes, essentially. So they're mm-hmm. even giving Money Penny an origin story for the most part. Um, even with yeah. bringing in Ben Wishaw as Q, which we get the first introduction to Q in this movie as a younger character kind of coming in for the first time with the, with the agency and all that. Like they were definitely trying to give it some fresh kind of life and give all the characters mm-hmm. a little bit more of a, of a backstory instead of just being around and being the character that we know from before. And I, I don't yeah. mind it uh, for, for Naomi Harris. I, I get that it could be taken in like, oh, we're just. Uh, in one scene, she's gonna go go behind a desk because she got she shot Bond, but uh, it it plays well for me, and I think it still plays pretty well. And I like her in the role. I think she she handles it. Yeah, no, I think everybody like all the all the new MI6 crew. We should also mention Ray Fiennes, yep. who uh, ends up ends up becoming M after this movie and at the end of this movie. Um, I mean, he's one of the best actors ever, honestly, oh, he's and awesome. he's he's great here too. Um, I like his dynamic. You're uh, his dynamic with everybody. Really, you're everyone's initially unsure of him, and then you become more and more sure of him throughout the movie. And then by the end of the movie, when he actually has to take up that mantle, fill those big shoes that Judy Dench ultimately leaves. I think you 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 buy him and you appreciate him, and you like you're happy. It's hard to replace her, like I just said. But when you're bringing in someone as good as Ray Fiennes, that's almost a lateral move. Yeah, for sure. It's not a downgrade no, it, in any way. They, they was the perfect way if you're going to to uh kill off m and judy dench uh, which who is one of the best actresses ever especially in this role yeah you have to bring in someone like ray fines if it was a forgettable actor or performance it would have been disappointing like you know you would have been yeah uh especially in the next two movies just missing judy dench but i think they did a great job with that casting this also gets starting to get a lot more personal with james bond and getting into his actual life before being um, the agent that then we knew in most of the other movies or any of the other movies as well with that whole yep. ending and the uh you know his re- the reveal of his parents and his name and all that like yeah skyfall refers to his tra- that's the name of his childhood home in scotland that's another issue i guess i have um it feels i guess for him being sort of secondary in this movie it feels weird to suddenly like bring his childhood and everything into it in the third act i guess like I think I like the way that they approach it, and like we need to go so off the grid that no one but Silva can find us. I like that mm-hmm. idea, but I feel like they don't do enough with Bond as a character to really set something like this up in the like earlier parts of the movie. Yeah, and that's there, I guess that, there's definitely things in it like, but the things that hold it back to me don't push it down as far as like no, not, not, it's just, not significantly. It's it's just when you compare it to because I when this movie came out, all the buzz was this is the best Daniel Craig movie by like bar none. It's better than Casino Royale. That was the talk at the time. And I never felt that way because I love Casino Royale so I, much. I haven't either. Um, but I did really love this one and I was extremely happy with it, especially after Quantum of Solace. And I went with a big group. I mean, one of my one of my good friends who's uh, actually in the army uh, is like the biggest Bond fan that I know. Like growing up, he he knew everything about James Bond, and he he loved this one as well. So like it was a, like a, a definitely another good theater experience with this one. And uh, yeah, it gets a little bit plotty that you know it doesn't quite make sense, but it's it's shot so well, performances are great, and it starts to kind of introduce the old 
crew back, which is always fun because I was yeah. excited about moving forward with that crew. Because I do like the idea of bringing in a young Q with Ben Wishaw. I think that's mm-hmm. a good idea. I so. do too. But yeah, I, yeah. I really like Skyfall. It's definitely my second best uh, Daniel Craig movie for sure. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that. Uh, we'll talk about No Time to Die soon enough. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how time uh, how time treats that movie. Yeah. Last thing I'll say about Skyfall. Uh, one last disconnect that I feel is I like the idea of like the new and old against each other. So like an older Bond against Q, they sort of play that off. And in particular, it's those two, the interaction between those two. Yeah. Um, and then they, they flip it with Silva being M's old favorite and uh, Bond being M's new favorite, stuff like that. But I don't like that after Casino Royale was establishing Bond, that was his origin story. And Quantum of Solace is a direct sequel to Casino Royale, literally picks up immediately after it left off in time. And then in the third movie... After he's been a rookie agent this whole time, now he's too old all of a sudden, and his age is starting to play a factor. There's a disconnect there. I think if we wanted to tell that part of the story, you need at least one movie in between to actually settle him into the role before you start saying, oh, he might be too old. I feel like they also kind of abandoned that thread like fairly early on in the movie, too. They did, and I think think because of all the time that passed between... Uh, Quantum of Solace and Skyfall, and I think the the general idea of this series was I think they were going to go with we're going to show the introduction to Bond and then a bunch of things happened. Like the old movies could have happened, you know, and Bond experienced a lot. Um, And then Skyfall. I think that's kind of the idea they were going for. But then at the same time, they're then just now setting up the crew. So it was definitely an odd choice. As a series as a whole, because these movies are connected, I have some issues with through lines and with, you know, certain things. And that is one of them that, even though I love this movie, that doesn't quite play perfectly for me. But as a standalone movie, I think it's fantastic. If you just say this is an old bond, older Bond that is, you know, getting near, you know, his knees worn out and what I, and all that stuff, like that's that's fine. But when you are connecting it, that's when you do run into a few more issues. Yeah, I think as a movie in a vacuum, especially, it's really good overall. It's just there's a lot of stuff that holds it back from being truly great for me. I think it's still in my top five. I just wanted a little bit more from it. And I wish I think it's just all pretty much in the script because everything else is pretty much top notch, yep, including the song. Yeah, the song is great, too. <laughs> just to throw that um, uh, songs that are not great. If we want to transition, yeah. the fourth Daniel Craig movie is uh, also by Sam Mendes is Spectre uh, from 2015 with Writings on the Wall song by Sam Smith, yeah. which I've never been a fan of. And I guess maybe that's an omen for the movie. We have somewhat conflicting opinions on this movie, but we've talked about this movie yeah. kind of in length already. We have, because I think you were um, watching it uh, when I was yeah. on I was on Discord and we were we were going back and forth. But you know, I was I joke around like about like I just saw Halloween Kills and I was making jokes about you know the stuff. But really, I didn't like the movie. It doesn't affect me that much, and it's just like ah oh, whatever. But I can make jokes and I like throwing those out there. But it's very few times that a movie makes me angry, and Spectre made me angry. Yes, which I understand. Yeah, this there's two movies within the past like. I don't, what is it? Five years that that have made me angry. You can maybe you can guess what the other one is, but um, hmm. yeah. What what would your be would be your guess for the other movie that made me angry? Did J.J. Abrams direct? Yes, it, it was Super Eight. Exactly. Yep. But no, <laughs> that was like ten years yeah. ago. That was a bad joke. I get it. But yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's very rare. I usually like I I have fun talking about movies, but it doesn't affect me too much. It's like I like it. I don't like it. Yeah. Spectre because they tried to tie it in so much to the old the older one movies and they wasted one of the best villain actors of all time uh and one of the biggest bond villains i thought you know they, i thought that was a big waste it, it, and tonally it just didn't work and it's the same director of skyfall and didn't feel like it like it there were so many aspects of this movie that i think just didn't work for me 
Um, but mostly yep. it's that connection and trying to then tie Blofeld. One, like, it works later on, like, in No Time to Die, but, like, making him his kind of brother, yeah. that whole thing didn't work for me. Um, it feels like a very modern movie thing to do yeah. and, and in a bad way, not in a good way, like some Bond movies have been able to capitalize on. Yeah. Um, I did not really believe the love story in this one between him and Madeline. Uh, they fix yeah. that, uh, you know, where I maybe will look back on Spectre a little bit more fondly in that aspect after seeing No Time to Die. But um, yeah, the, this movie doesn't put in the work to for what they want that that character and that relationship to be. This movie doesn't put enough yeah. enough work. And Lisa Do is fantastic. It's nothing on her. It's the way yes. the character is written. Yeah. But like, I know there's a lot of there's some pushback on like how the movie was made. But Blue is the warmest color. She's she's amazing in that movie, just as an actress, not all the other stuff involved. But she's she's very good. Yeah, that's that's all I hear. And yeah. you see that movie still. Um, yeah, Spectre, I guess I would say I've always had like a kind of soft spot for it. Uh, how I feel about it now, like I, I've liked it less over time. I think the wording I've used to describe it is that this movie is extremely watchable in spite of itself to me. I enjoy watching this movie for the most part. I especially like the first half of it. Tonally, it's a little all over the place, but I think the humor in this movie works fairly well. It feels like it's having fun with itself from time to time, but I also think that ultimately works against it because it gets juxtaposed with some really serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it doesn't always mesh, but I kind of like the I like Daniel Craig's performance in this movie in particular. And I, I like the that he kind of just goes back and forth between the the comedy which he's never been able to do much of as as bond and just the serious stuff which he's had to do a lot of i think he does both of them really well like i said sometimes that tone doesn't mesh with the serious tone of the movie i yeah. guess uh, an, an issue i've always had and i never really put my finger on it and i still can't quite put my finger on it but the action in this movie is just weightless it is like i feel nothing watching any of the action in this movie and i don't understand why i think some of it is because they they don't characterize anyone that bond is fighting very well as far as like where you no. care too much i mean you don't really in casino royale either as far as the opening scene but you, it's still exciting but i don't know it, yeah there, it, there is a weightlessness to this movie to me in general not just the, the action yeah scenes. I, there's a it yeah, I feel it, I feel it most in the action because yeah. yeah, I feel like in in the action scenes I should be getting more excited because it's like it's it's generally well shot, the music is fine, uh, but it's just I'm not feeling anything watching any of it except I think the fight the on the train yeah. with with Bond and Dave, uh, Batista. Dave Batista is is great, and I like that for most of that scene there's no score. I think having no score in this scene works really well, and I think the sound design also helps punctuate that because those punches sound brutal. They do, and the the whole fight feels brutal, and I love it. Um, I think it's I, I wish they wouldn't have killed off uh, that character so early, uh, yeah. but like I enjoy that fight. That's the only action scene that I really dig in that movie. The rest of it just feels weightless, and it feels like. By the end of the movie, yeah. they've run out of budget because there's barely any action in the action. Like in the third act of the movie, there's barely any action going on, even though they want you to try and think there is, I guess. The end of the movie, they try to make Bond reading a lot of things really exciting. <laughs> like, you know, it's <laughs> a lot of pictures of yeah, everybody he's he used pictures to Because, you know, Blofeld apparently had time and really wanted to set up this entire personal, mm -hmm. you know, story. Uh, backstory for Bond, for Bond, a little museum that he can look at, <laughs> and it's it's like that's yeah. that's where it like really really lost me. Like I was when I was watching it, I was like, man, I'm just not really enjoying this. Like it was just just it was just disappointing. Like I was just not really into it. Yeah. And then that happened, and that stuff is what made me like angry about it because because I do love Casino Royale and the Vesper character and all that so much, and I felt like they were using her as like a bad plot line, like. 
you know, like yeah, it's throwing like a it in the face as a crutch. It's like everyone loved this character. Well, she's still affecting Bond, so we're going mm-hmm. to, you know, have the villain bring her up and all that. So it just it didn't quite work. And then I like the ending yeah. with him using a pistol to shoot a helicopter. To take down a helicopter. Ri- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it pissed me off so much when so- when I saw someone point out like in a YouTube comment, they had a little scene in the Q- a little moment in the Q scene where Bond finds this machine gun that's tricked out a little bit, and he's like, "Huh, yeah. I kind of want to use this." And they never it never comes back into play. And we talked about it. And it's like that's totally what he, he was going to bring the helicopter down with. He was. Whatever was in that gun, that's what that's what was going to bring the helicopter down at the end, which would have been better. But he just uses a regular ass pistol on a boat to take down a helicopter from across the English Channel. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I think what they fell into the trap of, because I, I believe I hear I remember hearing like Sam Mendez talk about wanting to throw in more of the Bond humor and more of the like the bond like get it get it back to kind of the older bond movies like it's bond is now transitioned it was he was gritty and then he you know he's becoming james bond so they want him to become the bond that we know a little bit more and i think what i think happened is specter is the awkward teenager awkward like preteen of that <laughs> it doesn't quite work yeah. they tried to go full into it in some scenes and then they didn't in others like my my wife knows this movie as is that the movie with the drills and she hates that scene. Like that scene is very <laughs> just a little drill yeah, into his and brain, and it's super intense and uh, and hard to watch because of even just the noise that the drills make. Yeah. And then you get scenes where where he's falling onto a couch in the middle of a scene, or you get scenes like the pistol. And I think it just they clash a little bit too much for me. Yeah, we should mention that couch because I think the thing that most people actually remember about this movie is the opening sequence, which it is really, it's good. Yeah, it's it's good overall. It tries to make you think it's a one a one shot for the first half. Yeah, there's a couple obvious points where they cut where they Flash going around the a corner and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I can like as an editor and as a, someone who watches all the movies I do, I can tell where they made those cuts. Yeah. Like it's still impressive overall. It looks nice, and uh, I think that opening that open sequence it gets a little too long uh, when they get in the helicopter, but it's good overall. And I think that's what people remember most. Yep. And then most people, like regular people, seem to just not remember much about the movie after that. And fans of the movie seem to mostly not like what they did with it, which I don't disagree with. But like I said, I think it's just it's still watchable in spite of all that to me. I have this like firmly middle of the pack in terms of my rankings of the series. Um, I still I still think it's okay, even with all its issues, which I'm well aware of all those issues, because as in terms of a script and in terms of plotting, this is one of the messiest movies like of all time. Oh, it feels yeah, like I think so. And it like it's one of those movies, again, in a vacuum. I think it works better than a connected piece to the rest of the series. And that's the part that made me really dislike it was the connection piece. And because otherwise it's just kind of a messy could maybe be fun with a boring stretch to me, like a dull uh, that whole anything that was trying to introduce the love story with Bond and Madeline in the in the middle of the movie and all that when Bond's kind of alone and dropped off and that whole like that whole thing like that doesn't work and that just kind of slowed the movie down for me. Um, talk about like slow yep. second acts. That's definitely one for me. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Other yeah. than that, that train fight, that that second act is what yeah. brings that's what starts bringing the movie down. Yeah, and then just the ending obviously didn't work. And then I, because then I, you know, then I, I get cynical at that point when I'm starting to not like it. And then I see the ending, like, oh, well, they're just going to do from Her Majesty's Secret Service again, you know, because they end and they're clearly like hinting at that. So, like, you know, then it was just like, now I'm cynical that they're going to basically remake, you know, that movie as the next uh-huh. one and have that be, you know, his last one or something. But like, and they didn't, yeah. which was good. But 
Um, yeah. Last thing I will say about this movie. I think if they were going to have the ankle that he found of love of his life and retired at the end, I would have really liked the old man Bond thing to be in this movie rather than in Skyfall. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah, that's true. All right. So we've gone through uh, all 24 of the uh, original Bond movies before this most recent one, which we're going to get into now. Uh, no Time to Die. If you haven't seen the movie uh, and you want to, we are going to be getting into spoilers from here on out. So you've been warned. We'll get to overall thoughts first. If anyone wants to stick around just to hear what we think. I'll go ahead and start. Mm -hmm. I, for the most part, really liked this movie, especially the first two acts, I would say. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I need to watch this movie again because the, like, if it's a series I care about, I feel the same way with every Star Wars movie. I'm over, over analytical to every point, like making sure they, well, I think they do what I want them to do, or I think they do what's the right thing to do, rather than just actually putting everything into perspective and seeing how it works as a whole. Um, so I was doing a lot of that here, which is why I kind of want to watch it again. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed it for the most part. I think Daniel Craig in particular, this might be my favorite performance he gives in the entire series. He makes some stuff work that I don't think could, should, or would have worked otherwise. There's a lot of stuff to like in this movie. There's a lot of stuff to dislike in this movie, but I came away pretty happy overall. I, I like this movie quite a bit. I, I've seen it once. I do want to see it. There's, and I'll get into the ending. There's like, there's a particular, uh, shot that has been like, stuck in my head in, in almost like a makes me sad way, but like it means that it was effective. And I, I'll get into that when you talk about the ending of the movie, but I really did like this movie. It didn't quite reach Skyfall for me as far as, because I think just on a filmmaking aspect, I think Carrie Fukunaga did a great job, but it wasn't quite as stunning to look at. The action was, was good. Like there was some really, really good action in it, but like, you know, it, there was like just something that I felt like was holding it back just a tiny bit in a few scenes. Yeah. Um, where it, like, you know, it just kind of pushes it just slightly below Skyfall, but I'm, I'm curious to see if it, if it stays there, if I rewatch the movie or if it moves up to my second favorite. But I think that this was for two acts, really, really good. Like, I love it. Yep. Um, the third act revealed a problem that the movie had overall, which I think was, uh, Rami Malek's villain. We'll get into, we'll get into that more specifically in just a second. Yeah. General thoughts. Yeah. I really like it, but it's, it has a couple of of problems but it's a it's a really good movie okay we can go now right. um yeah so opening scene is a flashback scene actually which oh, i think well, yeah, other yeah. than golden i don't i don't know if we ever had before mm. uh, we have young madeline swan here and she's got a visitor she's in uh, where are they in norway i want to say uh if i remember correctly so i think i don't so. remember yeah i'm trying to remember because they go uh, back there um, later in the movie yes. so yeah i think it's norway yeah so she's there with her mother and they have a visitor and it is revealed he's he's got a he's got a creepy white mask on and it's revealed that this is Rami Malek's character he's got some scarring disfigurements on his face this is uh, a funny name uh Lucifer Safin mm -hmm. which looks just like Lucifer Satan if you I, see it yes, written down it <laughs> yeah it's a great name for a button villain I think in a in a sillier movie it would have been even better but yeah he's there to kill Madeline's father uh Mr. White which we didn't mention from uh Spectre he's her father and he's a Spectre agent Mr. White's not there so he take he kills Madeline's mother instead mm -hmm. and he chases Madeline and he ends up sparing her life and we leave it there for for now. And then we cut to present day where Bond is with with grown up Madeline and he's retired. I don't know how much longer this takes place after Spectre. Yeah, they. I think it's very close. It feels feels pretty so, close. So what I'm what I think, because um, Spectre was 2015, right? Mm -hmm. So they they play these movies. They're saying that this all happened in real time uh, based on the dates they give for a lot of this stuff, uh, okay. including the grave for um for vesper i was actually there that's something i wanted to bring up but so i believe that basically right after specter they leave they go out they go off to italy 
because then the five years later when that happens would have been 2020 uh, that's how they get up to would have been 2020 okay. which is when the movie was supposed to come out um yeah okay, so, that makes sense yeah so it, it, this you know if you're thinking about it bond's run at this point has been 2006 to 2020 yeah i didn't think about that but yeah we go to we go to vesper's grave in italy bond goes to her grave and suddenly there's an explosion i love that uh his ears are ringing so you've get like it's ringing in your yeah, ears they, well they do that a few times for, for, for a little they do while that a couple times in yes. the movie and it's it's a really good effect i like when they do that like make put you in the lead characters either either visual with sometimes when they blur the camera and do the same effect in other mm-hmm. movies and stuff like that but i always like that effect it's really it works I think that, not to talk shit on Mark Forster for too long, but I think that more than any frantic camera shakes or quick cutting yeah. is actually more effective in making you feel what a character is actually experiencing. But anyway, I think someone t- uh, tips Bond off or like tries to mislead him that Madeline has betrayed him at well, this point. So what it, it's actually more all in Bond's head for the most part, because he has a conversation with Madeline earlier in the movie or earlier, just like just be- prior to when he left, that she wanted to tell him something, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also in the same place that Vesper, you know, is revealed that Vesper betrayed him as well. Yeah. He goes there and he has this feeling and then he notices something's wrong with the like security guy or whatever leaving and all that stuff. Notice there's something off. Yeah. Gets to the grave. It blows up. His instant reaction is that it's Madeline just because of yeah. what everything he's gone to at that point with Vesper and all that beforehand. So. And I think that's where M saying don't trust anybody all those years earlier yep. is sticking in the back of his yeah. mind there. And I think the way they handle his confrontation with her, like he's aggressive, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's I don't think it's unwarranted, I guess. Yeah. For how su- suspicious he is, he's not like he's not abusing her necessarily. But for what this character is, how uh, how much he's been hurt in the past, I totally understand why he is the way he is in this particular moment. Yeah. And you know what's so weird little detail, but it stuck with me because for some reason, Eva Green has looked the same age to me ever since Casino Royale. So I've never really known how old she is. I don't think I've ever really went to to go look it up. The grave yeah. for Eva... Do you remember what they put on the grave as far as her... Because I do, but yes. It was 1983 to 2006. So okay. basically a 22-year-old at that point She's my she's my age right now. Right. But I mean, Eva Green, the actress, is actually born in nineteen eighty. I don't really know why they made that change. I actually think it makes more sense if she's a little older, but um yeah. Yeah. But thinking about her in Casino Royale being twenty two actually kind of is, is very it's it's odd to me. I, I feel like she should have been actually a little bit older in that to have all yeah. you know, the the experience she did and everything. But that was just a tiny little detail that I thought was like it stuck with me yeah. as funny because I had, you know, of what I think of Eva Green and all that. Yeah, and no pun intended here, but this movie's all about time, and they do some weird stuff with the passage of time. Like Rami Malek in the opening scene, for example. Like He's it, older. It's at least, like, it has to be it has to be at least 20 years. Yeah. Uh, by the time Madeline, like, Madeline, I would assume, is, like, 30. It has to be at least 20 years between uh, that opening scene and when the, the movie ultimately takes place. The only thing, uh, if they didn't, but it, is if... But Rami Malek doesn't look any different. No. I mean, he has all. a mask on in that scene, but I thought the same thing, because... Yeah, but he takes it off. Yeah. I thought that opening scene was going to be how he got his scar, right, but he already, he already has it. the scars. It was weird. Yeah, no, they, they do some weird things, but because I, I would be curious like that where, like, how old do they say Madeline is at this point? Because she also has, spoiler alert, a, a kid, too, where time has definitely passed from that point, but I don't know. Well, that was in the that was in the time jump. Yeah. She, 
And I, I hate that they tipped it off like this, but when Bond sends her away on the train, she grabs her stomach for like a half second. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I know. Like, and I don't I don't necessarily hate the idea that they have a kid. Necessarily, I don't But I'm like, I'm like, why? I, I wish they just didn't tip it off like that. So I'm like, OK, OK, that's the rest of this fucking movie. I, I don't dislike it at all, but um, it reminded me of Superman uh, Returns. Oh, God. Yeah. So like when when that when I realized that that was kind of what they were doing, I was like. It was just in my head, it was like, that's kind of Superman Returns-y a little bit, especially with the reveal, uh, you know, not really saying it is and then and everything. And then they do the, mm-hmm. know, the blue eyes and all that stuff. But Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love the reveal when, when Bond's daughter pushes a piano out of the yeah, way. That's my exactly, favorite moment yep, in the movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the opening sequence is a great action sequence. I wish the trailer hadn't shown so much of that scene. Uh, that first trailer shows like most of that scene. They reveal that he's got the guns on the Aston Martin and everything yeah. like that. Um, but it's a fun, it's a fun action scene. We learn that it's Spectre, and then at the end, he ultimately sends Madeline away on a train. We transition into the Billie Eilish song in the title sequence, which I like that song. I don't love that song necessarily. Um, I, th- I think it's fine. Uh, I like the title sequence overall. And then we do a big time jump after that title sequence. We go to five years later, and there is. This is where the movie gets a little uh, hard to understand for me some uh, at parts, how this all works together. So I think what it is, is that there is an MI6 or an MI6 affiliated uh, like organization that's developing a bioweapon that we learn was ultimately part of what Ray Fiennes' M was yeah. doing all the way back even before he got the job, I think. Uh, they're creating a bioweapon, and it looks like Spectre at first, I think, is who steals the bioweapon, or is it the other way around? Yes, Spectre is the one that is coming. So we we get the shot of the and and you're mostly from what I remember right. I don't know if it was what M was doing before he became M, but it was definitely something yeah. that he developed um, or had you know some this team develop, uh, which is like you know the bioweapon to basically take out assassin to assass essentially assassinate people in a clean way. It's a it's a way to not put yes. agents in danger and bring attention to things and. You know, it's it's that general plot line has been used before, you know, it's like you try Mm -hmm. to do a clean assassin thing and it goes wrong. But but yeah. And then we get this shot of or the scene with the the our doctor guy who's kind of the lead. Um, We don't know what you know who he's with, but he gets a text saying Spectre's coming. And we get that shot from the trailer of those people repelling down the outside of the of the building. And we get the one henchman who we we cut to uh, with the bionic eye, I think. Right. Yeah. He's kind of the lead henchman at that point. Yeah. Yeah, he's there throughout the movie, and at first he's with Spectre, and then he eventually defects to Safin at, uh, later on in the movie, um, which is why I'm remembering now that it's Spectre who steals this bioweapon. Yep. Yeah, so they steal it, and they t- um, they take the scientist, and they go to, I guess, Jamaica, right? No, they go Cuba. to Cuba. Yeah. We go to Jamaica after a quick visit with MI6, who, uh, after they learn the weapon's been stolen, uh, M says he's going to put 007 on the case. Mm-hmm. And we cut we cut to Jamaica, where James Bond is just living alone, and it seems like he's not having a terrible life necessarily. He's, he's just got a kind great of house. Yeah, he's got a great house. He's kind of living like Luke Skywalker. He's just kind of fishing during the day and just living like his life bars, of solitude. Yeah. And I uh, gets a visit from Felix Leiter, uh, Jeffrey Wright coming back. He's got an agent along his side, played by Billy Ma- uh, Magnuson, mm-hmm. and they've learned about the bioweapon as well, and they want Bond to help them out. And I like, and I wish they would have done more with this. That Bond was technically working with the CIA against MI6. Yep. It's kind of fun because that's like the first half of the movies that he's technically working for the CIA against 
uh, his own government against his queen and country. It takes some uh, badgering from Felix, but yeah. he eventually agrees. Th- those two have a great dynamic. Oh, I love them together. That scene in the bar with Regal, the exposition, mm-hmm. the drinking game and everything they're doing, that's a great way to um, interrupt the exposition and not make it seem so blatant. And, and here's as far as like a small character, smallish character in a movie that I think was perfect casting is Billy Magnuson actually in that role because okay. we we typically see him playing kind of the goofy idiot. Have you seen Game Night? I've never seen him in anything, I don't think, actually. I'd recommend watching that. He's in that. He plays kind of a dumb jock-ish type character. Like he's, you know, and then um, in Aladdin 2, he's kind of a goofy, weird guy that comes in. But he he plays goofy and kind of oblivious in most of his roles. Mm-hmm. And that's what he is when he shows up. He's from the state lab, they say. And he's, you know, kind of overseeing uh, Felix. Um, and they don't, you know, and he, he's being very overtly obvious he's like he's not telling you the best part is specter and all this stuff so what what they do with that character later during the reveal it it actually shocks you because of the casting more in his character that he you know rather than um if it was just any other person right there you might get suspicious but i i wasn't suspicious at all actually with him well maybe it's because i didn't i haven't seen him act in other stuff but i smelled a rat immediately but what i will say is that i could have seen it going either way he could have just been like onto armis was in a few scenes down the line she could right. he could have just been kind of a silly character new to the job stuff like that i could have easily seen it going either way but i smelled a rat immediately and i think they even they leaned so hard into the into that to me that it felt like a red herring but no he just kind of was a rat but yeah the i, I like that whole mm-hmm. dynamic that that scene in the bar is good and then when bond leaves the bar i think his car is not working and then who's there but lashana lynch to take him home mm-hmm. uh he bring he brings her into the house they're get, they're kind of flirtatious and i like that they've made each other from like moment one and they both know it and then they finally drop the act and he learns that she's double o he knows what she's there for she knows what he's been doing with felix uh, i like their interaction a lot uh, they get tested with each other, but I never doubt for a second that there is a respect there for each other, which I like. I have some issues oh, yeah. with how with how they handle some of the stuff later on, uh, but I think that's a great start to their relationship. And then you get the gut punch at the end that she's the new 007. She took his code name after he retired, which and we I didn't knew. Have a problem with yeah, yeah, we knew that just from casting, and that caused a big thing because people are yeah. dumb. But well, people are dumb, yeah. and also I think some people foolishly thought that this was them saying she is going to be the new 007 in all the movies well, going know. forward, which there was no chance yeah. of that. It was a casting for this movie, and yes, yeah, it was just I knew right away that it would die. I mean, I didn't know if it would die down, but I knew it wasn't going to be a big, yeah, as big as people were talking about. And no. even if it was, I would be like, I'm up for whatever you do with the Bond stuff going forward as mm-hmm. long as I like it, yeah, you know, type of thing. So, but yeah. No, she. I think that that dynamic would really. I actually liked her quite a bit in the movie. I did too. So after that, uh, I think I think is when Bond agrees to go to Havana. It's funny he gets off on the dock, or maybe she does. Uh, but they see each other from across the dock at each other. They know what each other's there for. Like again, the dynamic is great. Yeah. yeah well, then, you see him. He he looks up at her plane. You know. Yes. On the way there, and 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 which comes back later. But it, mm-hmm. you know, he he makes it right away. He knows who that is. We see her get off the dock and all that. Like. They it they have some very clever kind of setups that mm-hmm. are very um, playful. You yes, know, I, I like I like a playful 
kind of twist on, on the Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah. Um, speaking of playful, we get uh, Bond's contact from uh, who she work for. Dude, is, it, is she a CIA agent? Um, she's part of the CIA. Okay. Yeah, I believe I she is. Yeah. Uh, Ana de Armas in for one sequence, and she almost... I, I'm, some people think she outright does steal the movie. Like, she's delightful. She's awesome. I was concerned when I saw what this character was at first that they were going to lean too hard into it. It was going to be too much comedic relief. Like, they were going to lean too hard into the one joke that she's inexperienced. I was terrified of how corny that might come off as, but she plays it perfectly. They don't go too far. I like that they show when they actually get to the action that she's mm-hmm. very competent. Like, she's inexperienced, so she's not perfect, but she's very competent. And... I like that she's just excited the whole time. She's just like brings so much energy to this movie. And not that the movie was lacking it, but it just makes the whole Cuba sequence just delightful. That's the only word I can say. She's perfectly delightful. It's one of those things I I wish I saw more of her, but her character and role worked so much in the limited time that she was there that I I don't know if it would have worked if they did keep her in it, if she just like stayed with Bond on another mission or something or showed up later. But I want to see more of the character, which is just a testament to how good she was in that limited amount of time. I mean, they, they even do like some things that are kind of tropey where, oh, she's nervous. So she, t- she drinks the drink yeah. really fast and stuff. And Bond looks at her like, oh my God, this is going to be, <laughs> um, yeah. this is going to be awful. Like what, what am I getting into with her? But I like the, that it was kind of, that was the red herring like mm-hmm. a little bit where then the action starts, like you said, and she's, she's just great. And he's like, how many, cause I forget how long she's been on the job, but he, a few he, weeks, uh, I he think brings it said? back up. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. And and he's like, only a few weeks or only whatever amount of training. Like, you know, and he was and you see the respect. Um yeah. Daniel Craig as an actor has talked so much about how he wanted to make Bond less misogynistic and more mm-hmm. respectful and all that. And you definitely see that in a lot of the movies, but especially this one. His interactions with everybody. Yeah. And I think it actually plays really well. It doesn't come across as like even if I agree with the message. If mm-hmm. a message is preachy, it can come off as taking you out of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think it just played, it made it just seem like this is his character mm-hmm. and it played well. And like he's that it, it, you know, it just worked just fine. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Their, their dynamic is great. Um, we get into an action sequence Well, we get a bit of a, we, we get like some, some slow build up. We, we realize, I think she points out that all the people at this party in this bar or wherever they're at are specter agents. And we learn that the scientist is there with the henchman and he, at the last second, he switches something in the, uh, in the bioweapon. And that comes into play a second later as we, we kind of meet Blofeld again, we get Blofeld's bionic eye, which is being tossed around on a platter. That's like being uh, taken around the room because this is Blofeld virtually experiencing his birthday party from his prison cell, which I love. It's so silly. So um, uh, it's so bond and yes. silly, but they, but it works in this for some, like this movie, I think nailed the tone of getting some of the more bond tropes into it. Totally. Yeah, but this is like Blofeld's, uh, Blofeld sees Bond there. I don't know if he had planned for Bond to be there or not. I'm sure he did because he's Blofeld. But he's ready to turn the bioweapon on Bond. And then when he turns it on, suddenly all of the Spectre is dead. The bioweapon kills every Spectre agent there. Honestly, for how they portrayed Spectre throughout the series, that's like the best way for them to go because they sucked. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I loved it. I know. I was like, they. yeah, they did just they just killed the last movie. They just killed yep. Spectre. Which Perfect. I, I <laughs> hate as a storytelling thing. I hate when they try and bring it, like when they try and make a villain, a, a new villain a threat by just murking the old villain as, as easily as possible, which they do in this movie. But because Spectre wasn't particularly good to begin with, I'm, I don't even care almost. Yeah, it would be different maybe if 
Like if I if Blofeld in the last movie was like amazing, even mm-hmm. if you know if he was like Silva or something, yeah. and I just I was gonna say to if they killed more, Silva, I'd be like, yeah, if they killed Silva this way, I'd be mad. Right, exactly. But yeah, they turn the bioweapon on on Spectre, uh, the scientist. We're unsure of what the scientist is, but Bond leaves the bar with him. We get an action scene. Uh, he says his goodbyes to Anna Armis. He takes Lashana Lynch's plane and with the scientist mm-hmm. aboard, he, for whatever reason, Felix and Billy Magnuson are just in the center of the ocean or whatever uh, on this one boat. And that's where they interrogate the scientist. We learned that the scientist and Billy Magnuson are both working, ultimately working for Safin. So they turn on Bond and Felix. The boat starts to sink. Mm-hmm. We get a, a a rush but good goodbye scene between Felix and Bond because yeah. Felix is wounded and he ends up drowning in the boat. I wonder if the uh, the Armist scenes were originally meant for Felix and they, like Daniel Craig, just want her in the movie so bad after being in Knives Out with her. I wonder if that was Maybe. a late rewrite because it feels yeah, like that's, they didn't. It's definitely possible. I feel like they didn't give Felix much to do, and then all of a sudden they killed him off without yeah. really doing anything to, again, yeah. not doing much to earn it. Yeah, and that, and that made me sad to see, because I loved their dynamic, yeah. and I wanted to see him more in the, in the movie. And I, I feel like Jeffrey Wright kind of got a little bit shafted, where he was he was really good in Casino Royale, and he was in most of that movie. Mm-hmm. He's in Quantum Solace, but doesn't really do much. He's in, or he's not in Skyfall at all not inspector shows up and dies like right away yeah in this one but it has some of the best interactions between the two of them so it made it an emotional scene so yeah you know, yeah again i think the theme of this movie is that uh the performances make something emotional that shouldn't be like that hasn't yeah. earned it that those two yeah. interacting like it's like it didn't make me cry or anything but it's a good it's a good death yeah. scene um, exactly you know the movie doesn't earn it and i wish we could have gotten more of them together just more of jeffrey wright period um, and I wish that his death, other than one conversation Bond has with them, actually would have been more of a driving force for the rest of the movie. But anyway, Bond gets, does he get retrieved by Lashana Lynch, like with a distress signal? So he rises to the surface and then we see a boat. Which I think is MI6. It was, yeah, I think it's MI6. I'm trying to remember that part where he actually like take, gets off, I think is a little shaky for me. But yeah, because then he goes back to MI6 right after that. Yeah, we hear the theme. He's in his suit. He's in. He's got the car. Yep. He parks outside. Uh, my favorite thing. They don't recognize him at the front desk. He. That's. Yeah. That's the Bond. James Bond. My. My favorite thing. It's just a little visual thing. He gets a visitor's badge to go through MI6. I know. <laughs> and he. And he hates it too. And you see like how much he. He's like just. He's like. Are you, are you kidding me right mm-hmm. now? Like. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it, just it, like. It, yeah. Passage of time. Yeah. They moved on without yeah. him. Kind of sort of what Silva said. Like they'll. They'll abandon you. They move on without you. Um, yep. uh, meets Money Penny again. Q is not there. We're gonna wait a little bit for Q. Um, Lashana Lynch is there. He gets a scene with M. They they sort of talk about what happened. There was a phone call earlier in the movie where Bond talks to M briefly, and M's not expecting it. And this is where the movie tries to point you in one direction, thinking that M is really shady about this, about what happened with the bioweapon. I like that the first half of the movie, you're not really sure who to trust. I think yep. that works pr- pretty well. This is kind of why Bond's working against MI6, ultimately. That's the confrontation that Bond and M have in the office. He mentions that Felix is dead. We get some exposition here about what the bioweapon is, how it works. Um, we still don't have much from Safin yet. I think it's a few more scenes before we uh, encounter him. Yeah, he's he's kind of um, pushed to the back a little bit until we reveal more about what's going on mm-hmm. and, take, and everything with Blofeld happens, which is coming up. Yeah, Bond, uh, for a couple scenes, they say no to Bond wanting to go visit Blofeld in his super private cell. Takes a few scenes to get to that. I think at this point we learn that Blofeld is only talking to one person for the last five years, and it's a psychiatrist, which finally comes into play that Madeline's a psychiatrist, because that's how we bring her back into the fold. 
and she's been working with MI6, which I do like that. I mean, obviously, it's not an organic way to bring her back in, but I bought it, especially because Blofeld loves to fuck with Bond. I I bought it. Yeah. And she has a like there's somewhat of a relationship with her inspector to where yeah. he would trust her and all that. It, it at least made some level of sense where even if I don't believe fully that she would go from what happened with her and Bond to straight going to work for MI6, you know, it, it still made it believable enough. So then I think we have a scene with Bond and M where uh, I noticed, I don't know if you noticed in the score, there's definitely a hint of the Honor Majesty Secret Service opening theme. Oh, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, and that scene with Bond and M, I heard it. And obviously in the beginning of the movie, they said we have all the time in the world. Um, I I didn't know what direction they were taking it, but I could tell they were referencing Honor Majesty's Secret Service a lot. But ultimately, M lets Bond go visit Blofeld. He meets Madeline again. It's awkward. Oh, before we get to that, I guess is where Safin comes back into the fold because he introduces himself to Madeline. He reveals who he is and all that. This is where he I'm trying to figure out how this weapon works still. Uh, It's it's sensitive to the touch of some people. So like you can spread it and it, it kills some people. I think it kills ultimately kills Blofeld, we'll find out, because he wants it to kill all the Spectre people. Yeah, so basically what it is is essentially nanobots. Yes, the nanobot nanomachines, virus. they said, yeah. It's a nanomachine virus that you can set a target. It yes. It can be multiple targets, and it can be a single target. But the problem is, when you set it to a target, it also will kill anyone related to that target because mm-hmm. they have something similar in the DNA that the virus will will kill. But it has to be set as the target beforehand. Okay. Um, that particular vial or that particular gas or whatever, you know, that it's it's set with it, and and that obviously plays a role. But we get the introduction with Madeline coming into contact. With, what's his name again? Safin. Safin. Yes. It's sort of kind of like the the first scene with uh, Bond and Madeline Inspector, where it's like they pass it off as like a regular meeting, and then he reveals who he is. But obviously, it's different here because. She's got a lot of trauma and baggage, baggage associated with him. And I'm, I'm a bit confused by their whole dynamic, I guess, uh, if we start to point out some of the flaws in this movie. I don't know why he saved her. I also don't know what happened right after that. Did he just leave? Did she just stay home? Like, did they did he not come into contact with her again? Did he keep tabs on her? Like, it's just kind of weird. I don't know how he felt about her. I don't know if he had like a crush or a lust for her, like as a kid, like even all the way back then. I don't know how you're supposed to read that dynamic yeah that dynamic especially with where it goes at the end of the movie and how he uses her yeah that didn't fully work for me no i think it's like this is where they start using her again as a plot device i think her relationship with bond is good but they end up using it just as a plot device right like i i completely understood it at this point at least what i thought happened was basically he saw this little girl and couldn't bring himself to do it. He saved her, but because of his personality, he now thinks that she owes him. You know, yeah, I saved I your life, so she, owe, she owes me something. So for whatever reason, now is the time he's going to go find her and tell her, like, you owe me this. And, yeah. and he's using her, at this point, actually, he's using her to get to Blofeld. She's the connection piece. He he knows her and can, can mess with her yeah. and has a blackmail over her, essentially, mm-hmm. in his yeah. mind. And the reason, uh, I don't know if when we find out, but ultimately his reason for going after Blofeld and Spectre was that his parents were had this had this island where they came up with all these poison plants that became a bioweapon and all that. Mr. White was who Blofeld and Spectre tasked with killing Safin's parents. Apparently they were around all the way back like 25 years ago. But uh, yeah, so he was getting his revenge on Mr. White and he wasn't there. Um, he's apparently just been biding his time for 20 plus years waiting to get to Blofeld and the rest of Spectre. And he's finally doing it. 
and Blofeld's the last person he has to get to. So he makes it so that Madeline can spread it, and uh, Bond touches her, which means she spreads it to him. And then we get a scene with Bond and Blofeld, which I think is a bit like it's a decent course correction of the missteps they took mm-hmm. with that relationship in the first movie. I like I like Christoph Waltz in this scene. I like how decayed and rotted his his eye looks now. Like I like all that stuff. I like yep. I like his entrance. It's so slow and silly. His entrance, I know, <laughs> sliding into, yep. into to them and yep. that. It's 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 pretty good. I, yeah, I liked the scene for you know, especially not really liking what they did with him in the last movie. I think this was just a good, solid Blofeld and Bond scene. Yeah, and we get Blofeld confirming that it was five years ago. He was the one who tried to to get at Bond. This is like his one last crack at getting to Bond before Bond just rode off into the sunset. Uh, so yeah. he he planted the bomb on, Spectre, or on a Vesper's grave and all that. And then he keeps trying to manipulate Bond into thinking that Madeline is the person, like not behind all this, but she's the key to figuring everything out, which she kind of is. Bond's like asking for a name and he just keeps giving her Madeline. Some of the MI6 people leave. And then it feels really awkward the moment where Bond like suddenly starts strangling Blofeld because he go- he goes crazy yeah. all of a sudden and strangles Blofeld for like 10 seconds and they pull him off. And then when he turns around, Blofeld's dead because he spread the disease to him. I first read this as when Bond like goes crazy and starts choking him. I thought he was trying to get close so he could get Blofeld to whisper him the information so that no one could hear him. That's what mm-hmm. I th- that's what I thought he was doing, but I, I thought get- so too. But I guess he just lost his cool when he killed Blofeld because they never addressed it again. And I'm like, it just feels out of place, uh, kind of out of the blue. It definitely was the poison that killed Blofeld. Yes. No. 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 So, that 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 I know, but the impetus of Bond choking him just feels out of like out of left field. I don't feel like anything there had actually caused him to lose his cool because he was right. like, it's like he was fine, and then he lost his cool like a split second later. I think the scene was probably written as with the intent that Bond did have an ulterior motive to do it. And it might've been a longer scene where he said, Oh, I was just trying to do this or whatever, but maybe for time or something. But I I thought for sure, like he's just trying to get, this is a tactic. Like this is, this is Batman interrogating Joker, but, but not quite where he loses it completely. I don't know. It's just, it, it, it played, it did play a little weird. And it's just, I knew that as soon as it happened, that Blofeld would be dead because yeah. of the, the poison. So, it, you know, I got what they were at least getting to at that point. So it, it didn't bother me too much, but it was a weird moment. Yeah. And it's ultimately like, it's a kind of a shitty way to, to kill Blofeld off. But like, again, like Spectre was shitty anyway. And I get it. They had a lot of stuff to get through. I think a few scenes before this is when we uh, get reintroduced to Q again with Bond. Um, we have a few scenes with them and then, I think the MI6 people help Bond find Madeline, or maybe Bond just knows where to find her. I don't remember. Yeah, well, I think um, I think we had actually see. Uh, didn't Bond go back to um, Q's place right after the scene, or did they already do that before? I think it might have been beforehand, and like we do it with one scene, and then he goes back again. Yes. Um, after the interrogation, and then he goes to Norway or River, and he knows where yeah. to find Madeline. He finds her there. But she's not alone. She's got a little five-year-old girl there with her. Um, I don't remember her yep. name. She's insistent with Bond that she's not Bond's. And she's uh, this, she said that a couple times. My theater actually laughed both times that she said it, which I, I liked. And honestly, I honestly would have been okay with it just being like a surrogate daughter for him in this moment. I don't think it needed to be. Like, I knew it was, but I don't think it needed to be his yeah. I mean, daughter They made it obvious with the eyes, and, they, and that was obviously the intent. Yeah. But they didn't hide that very well. Like, the audience knew. Yeah. Right away. 
what was going on. And it's Matilda, by the way. Matilda, that's right. No, it's just Matilda, Matilda, actually. Oh, Matilda, that's right. Yeah. Matilda. So we have a couple scenes. There's a cute little, like, breakfast scene with her and Bond. He and uh, Madeline reconnect at this point. They make up, they kiss, and all that. And then Bond is communicating with MI6, and he learns that 007... Uh, or maybe she's not 007. I don't remember when they take the code number away and give it back to Bond. It's, it's uh, way later. It's like right before the final mission. It's like in the plane. That's right. right. You know. But they do have some banter about it the whole time. Um, they yeah, uh, but they learn she's been dispatched to pretty close to the same area, which tips them off that uh, some people are coming for Madeline and Bond. Uh, we learn it's it's Billy Magnuson and, and a couple other people. I think Safin's ultimately with them. But we yeah, get a, I really like this scene. This is, we get, this yes, is this a great, is a, great action scene so it's first it's a car chase through just through the streets uh then then it goes into the forest like just kind of in like a whole wide open area like think of the uh establishing shot in scotland where they're like uh, in in skyfall where they're just looking out at the vast fields it's like that is what they're driving through and then it becomes a forest they stop at like a house and bond lets madeline and matilde into the house and then we get like a Metal Gear Solid like sneaky stealth scene of Bond slowly taking everybody out one by one. And I love it. I love the tension here. I think this there's some restraint to the score again, which was kind of a recurring theme at this point. This action scene fucking rolled. He kills Billy yeah. Magnuson ultimately. That's kind of his revenge for Felix, I guess. Yeah, um, and I love that he uh Billy Magnuson, you know, he gets the car to flip, he goes up to him and he just says this is for Felix and, you know, lets the car that's the car just <laughs> smash him. And that's a that's a good good mm-hmm. kind of revenge for yeah. that. It's a good, really good scene. Yeah, and he gives Madeline a gun before he before he does this. Um, she she yeah. shoots like one or two henchmen, but then Sappin comes in and she's out of bullets, I think. And that's when yeah. Sappin ends up taking her and Matilde. So Bond has to regroup with MI6 and all that. And we start getting to the third act. Uh, we see. I like that Sappin has an old school villain layer on his big island. I like that. I like I like the production design. And I was hinting at that, like that they bring more of the Bond tropes in for this one. Yeah. That's one of them is they finally give Daniel Craig's Bond a big villain fortress, a big, uh, you know, layer that, yeah. that he has to go into. And that, that was that was cool. Big island layer. They kind of have one inspector, but they blow yeah, it up immediately. Kind of. And I, yeah, don't know, I, mean, I still I, don't know do that explosion comes from out of nowhere. He didn't trigger an explosion or anything. Yeah. It just explodes. Um, I anyway. think I just kind of blink that one out in my head. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um but yeah, in this, we get a couple scenes with uh, Safin and Madeline, and uh, I guess the big problem, we'll get to this uh, momentarily, and I am like 85-90% sure this was something they cut out of sensitivity to COVID. We don't know what his plan is, and yeah. I think it's just he was going to unleash a pandemic, and they felt it was insensitive to actually make that, directly yeah. reference that as part of the movie. I think that, yeah, they, they probably didn't directly say it, but... They did mention multiple times without saying that it was his plan, saying if this gets out, it will take out X amount of people in the world or whatever it was. So we know generally what he was trying to to do with the stuff. We don't really know his motivation, which that's part of what I was saying. Like my biggest problem with the movie is his character and what I think he was sidelined. And I think there was a lot more written. Yes. And this movie is already long. And I think they wanted to focus more on Bond. Uh, and the relationship with Madeline and and other stuff rather than the villain, which was which worked for what they were doing because of what they did. But it made the villain suffer, which makes the ending kind of suffer some. Yeah. And I think that my issue with his motivation is that as far as we know, from what we've been told to me, 
Once he gets revenge on Blofeld and all of Spectre, to me, he should be done. I don't know what he wants beyond that because they like they just never elaborate on that. And that's my big issue. It feels like he wants Madeline in whatever way he wants Madeline. But I, I don't know. I don't know what he wants beyond that. And that's that's an issue. But before we get there, uh, Bond goes back with MI6. I think this is when he's on the jet with Q and uh, with LaShonda Lynch as 007. We get a last scene between Bond and Q on the plane, and they get in their little fighter jet, their little stealth jet to get to the island. I, w I will say at this point, um, that scene that I was talking about with Bond and M earlier, that's pretty much when they made up, and then they don't really reference the fact that this is a lot of M's doing ever again. I hate that they kind of abandoned that. M kind of acknowledges it once more, like once more in the movie, I think he's, he says something about it, but uh, that's about it. Once, once that happens, once they make up, just like MI6 is just together. They're all together, and there's like there's banter between Bond and Lashana Lynch, but that's about it. They sneak onto the island. They uh, they infiltrate. I think they get to the scientist who Lashana Lynch uh, stays with while Bond goes after Safin, looking for Madeline. Um, he finds Safin. Safin's got uh, Matilde there, and we get a long scene between Bond and Safin, which I feel like still doesn't do that much to establish Safin as a character or his motives or anything like that. No. It was more like I like the scene. I do too. Rami Alex, like he's fine in the movie, and I th I think like that's yeah that's his chance to be like unnerving or whatever whatever he's going for with that character. That's like his big his big scene to do that, and I feel yeah. like like his performance is fine, but it just like I don't know ultimately I don't know what it amounts to. It just feels like a long scene for the sake of a long scene because we need a there's like the only time they confront each other the yeah that that's what i was gonna get to they we they finally confront each other so we actually get the villain and bond to have some type of interaction in this movie and it is a good like he's menacing he's threatening matilde he's threatening to throw her and get shot yeah um, throws a pillow to kind of and then we get bond um doing the fake out you know bowing to him to beg uh to let her go mm -hmm. um which Everyone knew what was coming, but it was still pretty badass, actually, like the way they did it and shot mm -hmm. it. I like how Bond does the fake. He pulls the gun, shoots at him, and they drop through the floor. Yes. Um, and then he takes out all the guards. But that was a cool... I didn't know if he killed him or not. I was neither, but I was like, if he's dead, then she's definitely dead. Um, I know. So I'm like, I knew that like he wasn't. Bond starts looking for him again, I think. And he eventually finds Madeline. I think he finds Madeline first, and then... In a really weird yeah. scene, just kind of out escaped. of yes, uh, she escaped kind of out of the blue. Saffin's with Matilde, and then he's just like just lets her he, go. He lets her go, and I'm like, okay, conveniences, sure. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. He, there's like a line he says that's like a really weak explanation for it. He basically says, "If you don't want my protection, yes. then you can leave." Yeah, and, and it's like and she's four years old. She doesn't know what any yeah. of that means. And she's like, "You're scary. I want my mom." And she leaves. She, and she just finds um, her. <laughs> yeah, because I think what it was is he used her for what he needed her for. Mm -hmm. and he felt that he, at that point he's, you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. She can't really help him anymore at that point and is just going to hinder him. So I think he was just like, if, you, if you're going to fight me, then leave. Yeah. If you're going to fight this. So I, I at least kind of get it. But it was still like everything with Remy Malek's character in this movie just didn't quite come together i agree it, it didn't kill the movie but it just no i think his performance is fine too but it just doesn't quite exactly amount. he likes doing quite... accents and he's good yeah. at it but... <laughs> yeah it doesn't amount to what it needs to amount to i don't think um yeah also in the background to all this we have a ticking clock because they're eventually they eventually decide i can't remember something happens but they they'll they need to bomb the island to make sure that the bioweapon can't make it off the island 
Um, so yeah. uh, M calls in the military. They've got like they've got ships that are coming in to ultimately destroy the island with missiles and stuff like that. Well, what it is is um, at first it is uh, what's the ticking clock a little bit is that this is getting a lot of international attention. Yes, from a lot of other countries that are like, why does MI six have a plane surrounding this island that's uh-huh. in international waters and all that. So it's bringing attention there. So th- that's at first the ticking clock. Yes. Um, they point out the blast doors on the uh, for the missiles when they're in there because they said that they need – like when 007 and Bond or uh, Lashana Lynch's character and Bond are in there, that's when they say we need to blow – like they kind of realize they need to blow this place because it's a laboratory for this stuff. Yeah, eventually we've got the ticking clock that they've – everyone's agreed that they need to fire on the island. Um yeah. So Bond, he gets 007, he gets Madeline and Mathilde on a boat out of there. He stays behind because the blast doors are closed. He has to open the blast doors. Um, he opens them, and then when he's he's still got time to escape, but uh, he's confronted by Safin, who I think shoots him. And they have a little struggle mm-hmm. as Safin ultimately stabs him with what ends up being the bioweapon, infecting Bond. And then Bond just, I like that he just nonchalantly kills Safin. <laughs> I know. Well, um, because after- that, that water that they're in is actually the... Like that is the poison. Oh, okay, okay. I thought, um, I thought he like stabbed believe, him with like a little, like a little no needle or something. He, so from what I and I'd, I'd have to watch it again, but from what my understanding was, because that uh, that fountain or whatever lo- lowers down into the lab, and then yeah. and he calls it his poison fountain earlier, and he said it's mm-hmm. harmless to you right now. Okay, but as soon as he emptied that blood, and as soon as it cracked open and went into that wa- that water with it in it, they're both infected by it. So then, and and it now has a target, because the because of the blood. Okay. So that that's kind of I think what happened there. Okay. Um. But yeah. Long story short, Bond is infected, and he's got to go open. He's got to go back to open the blast doors, and he's also wounded. He's I think he got shot, like I said, and he got stabbed. Um. So he's struggling. He gets back, and he eventually opens the blast doors so the missiles can come through. But at this point, he's aware that yes, I'm gonna say it. He's out of time. Um, yep. He, he makes a long Metal Gear Solid 3 climb up a ladder as he's talking his whole way through with Madeline. I've seen and heard goodbyes like this in movies sometimes, but like yeah. they're, they're, they can't see each other. They're like worlds away, it feels like, but this is their goodbye. And she eventually, without even have to, having to tell him, he knows that Matilda is actually his daughter. He's climbing mm-hmm. up the ladder this whole way, nice and slow, because he's just like he's done accepting his fate in this moment. And like he saved the day one last time. He's saying goodbye to Madeline and all that. He's saying goodbye to his daughter. Like it's a lot of shortcuts happen to get to this point. But I think Daniel Craig and Leah Sedu are what make this actually work for me because yeah, I don't think it sure. should work otherwise. Yeah, it shouldn't. And I actually even like just the little touch that because at first he calls and it's Q. And yes. and and that's where it's like he he's like Q kind of realizes what was happening and he's mm-hmm. like put Madeline on the line he's like oh I should like he like you know I should have done that right yeah, away I but like I like that, that he I he, like that he was like Q, the first one to find out and they have yeah. a nice they have a nice moment exactly I like that he and Q get one moment and then mm-hmm. yeah that's a, it's a really good scene um, with them with Madeline and and Bond talking and like what she does again because of the eyes like they it's funny I I wonder if they did it on purpose because of the backlash over his big blue eye his blue eyes you know and <laughs> yeah. blonde that that was the thing that kind of distinguished his daughter yeah um and she says he really she really does have your eyes mm-hmm. and so you know doesn't have to say it but says it basically and yeah i like that they they accomplished it that way and then i think he tells her we have all the time in the world again or maybe she tells him yep I, i'm not sure who says it but they do definitely say that line again they call and back this to it is, again uh, 
Yeah, and then this is the thing that, like, when it happened, even when it happened, it didn't, like, I didn't think it would, like, affect me too much as far as, like, like I thought it was a really good shot. I'm like, oh, wow, they finally did it, which is Bond essentially looking up, seeing the bombs, then uh, kind of looking like fireworks coming down. We get a shot of Bond um, and then a pan over and see the the explosions happening coming right towards him. You see his legs standing there and a flashlight and Bond disappears. Yep. Um, and that is the end of Daniel Craig as James Bond. And that scene, even like I've been like dreaming and, and seeing that shot uh-huh. late, like after I saw the movie for like a week. Um, and it, it affected me because I love Daniel Craig as Bond. And I think that for some reason, seeing that happen to him the way he died in in the flash of light for some reason it just it just is a nice but also it's i don't know it, it it's an it's a very nice scene to mm-hmm. for ending it's a like as in it's a very good shot it's a good way for bond to go out but it also emotionally affected me because i'm a i'm i was connected to daniel craig's bond it's his performance and the score in the background i i've um not always the base hans Zimmer fan i think his scores can be kind of lazy sometimes and i don't know how much he directly worked on this movie because i know he's got like underlings that do some of his some of the scores um but the score in the moment in this sequence as he's climbing up the ladder and everything like that and craig's performance together make this moment better than it should be with how the with how the movie got there um it's just like it worked for me i did get choked up at that moment and even like this is just (laughs) me watching all these big movies over the years i'm like okay i'm not 100 percent sure that he's actually dead let's see how let's see how these (laughs) last few scenes go yeah it could Um, be a dark knight rises yeah he fixed the autopilot (laughs) yeah Um, exactly yeah so after that we only get a couple scenes we get uh, a quiet scene at mi6 there is Mm -hmm. uh i think a drink left on the table for bond the whole crew is there M reads what I guess is an Ian Fleming quote. That's the quote that he reads oh, to, to eulogize okay. Bond. I don't know if it's from a book or if it's just something that Fleming said or or what, um, but I heard it was an Ian Fleming quote, which is a little meta for me, um, especially uh, the next scene too gave me big ending of Game of Thrones vibes when Sam writes the song of ice and fire. Oh. Yeah, so like that scene being a Fleming quote, and then the final scene, uh, we have Madeline in the Aston Martin. Telling She's driving. Story. Yep, she's driving yeah. Matilda. Uh, she says, "I'm going to tell you the story of a man. His name was Bond, James Bond." That's the last line. Yeah, I cringed a little bit, but like I, I liked it. The, it, sen- I got... the sentiment worked for me overall. Yeah, and uh, they, I, I kind of wish they didn't directly reuse the Louis Armstrong song. We have all the time in the world, but it worked for me. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was choked up again when I heard that. That's what the song they were playing. And they yeah. drive they drive off into the sunset, and the song plays us into the credits. We don't get the Bond theme or anything like that. We just get mm-hmm. kind of a, a quiet, somber ending to the movie. And yeah, that's the end of No Time to Die. And I, like you said, you cringed a little bit. I, I liked it. I knew what I knew what she was gonna say. Like, yeah, you know, kind of deal. But I was like, that's fitting. Like for whatever reason, I sometimes I like sappy in some stuff, and that was definitely sappy. Yeah, um, yeah. The whole and, last, and it last ten, five to ten minutes are sappier than like total jarring tonal shift from what the Craig movies usually are. That was like an overriding feeling I had throughout this entire movie because, like, in many ways, it really feels like a Bond movie, and in many ways, it just doesn't. He's not settled down because they obviously they uh, broke up for five years, but like he's almost domesticated. Like he's not working in MI6 anymore. He's got a daughter yeah. ultimately. Like. Like just the idea of Bond sacrificing himself in such a grandiose way—it's not a quiet moment. The way he dies, ultimately, like everything about that just feels so weird to me and feels very unBond. But it all works together, I guess. It does. 
it still it still feels like a bond movie in many ways even though it never quite fully feels like he's back to being bond like he's in mi6 but he's not 007 um he doesn't trust them for part of the movie he doesn't have like he's got one bond girl throughout the entire movie and it's the, the one that we already knew about he's got a daughter like all this stuff just doesn't feel quite like bond we usually get and he's a little bit more reluctant he's like the reluctant hero yes. in this one where yeah. you know instead of being proactive and being the one on the mission like he's dragged into it um mm-hmm. into a scenario that's not about him necessarily you know mm-hmm. and then um and you know, he does he, it he and he does it do solely it. for for personal reasons and out of love and yep. all that the mission is secondary to love he's not he's almost not doing it to save the world like we didn't mention yeah. the last thing they say is that because he's infected he would never be able to touch uh, yeah, and his daughter again because his daughter would right. get sick because of the, the feeling is he probably he's James Bond. If he wanted to, he could probably find a way to get off the island. But he calls Q and he's like, how do you get these off me? How do you mm-hmm. get these out of me or whatever he says? And he's like, like I told you, you can't you can't. But it's it's harmless unless there's a target. And then Bond goes, well, that's not going to work. And yep. Q is like, oh, like he then Q gets that realization. Um, and that's a good scene too. But yeah, so that that is the whole reason that Bond kind of, he you know, he doesn't want to be uh, alive if he can't be with Madeline and Matilda and not touch them and 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 all that and have be have any risk of harming them. Yeah, and I think that sentiment's really powerful. Um, again, the movie, like I said, it it cut some corners to get to that point, and that's that's my issue with it overall. Um, but like I said, because the performances, because of the score, all this stuff, like. The ending ultimately works for me. I've got issues with the movie as a whole, like the third act we yeah. talked about, uh, just mm-hmm. logistically, and then some stuff that doesn't make sense, some weak character motivation for uh, Safin in particular. But on the whole, I really dug this movie for the most part. Going back through it, like sequence by sequence, I'm remembering a lot more stuff that I liked than I actually remembered. Um, there's less stuff, less of the stuff that I disliked. Like pretty much all the stuff I disliked is in that third act, and it's ultimately just a character thing. It's not like the scenes weren't entertaining. It's not like they were badly made or anything. What it felt like to me, because I, I, I'm like pretty much in the exact same boat as you, um, and we were ranking it very similar where I said it was probably my third and you said maybe your second favorite Craig movie. And so we're right in the same ballpark. Yeah, pretty um, much. But what it felt like to me thinking back on like the writing process is they had the ending mm-hmm. and they needed to figure out a way how to get there. Yep. Um, and they definitely cut a lot of corners to do it. Like they knew right from when they were like, there's that's the entire reason that they introduced this bio weapon is to come up with that ending but because of that they didn't really work a villain plot around it they just kind of jumped through some hoops to get to the scenario where bond was put in that position or maybe they did work a plot around it and just because of the state of the world they had to alter some stuff which i think is is a very good possibility but yeah just on the whole i really i really dug this movie i've I'm looking forward to seeing it again. This is probably going to be the first movie I ever see twice in theaters. I've never actually seen a movie multiple times oh, really? in theaters. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, my friends want to see it. So tentatively this weekend, we have plans to go see it. We'll see if that if that happens. Uh, I, I think I saw Casino Royale four times in theaters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've and I, there's definitely been plenty more. I saw The Dark Knight like seven times because yeah. so many people wanted to see it. I even saw a movie I completely dislike in Hancock. Uh, twice in theaters because people wanted to go back when I was in high school but yeah (laughs) yeah I'm very curious what the legacy of this one will be like I've seen like I haven't seen that many takes from like the Bond fandom itself about how people feel about this movie because I think the two points of contention are going to be the fact that he has a daughter and the fact that he dies 
and I'm, I haven't seen definitively how people feel about that. There's like people I follow on Twitter that are just like movie people, film Twitter for like a better term, not critics or anything, just like regular people that I'm like mutuals with and stuff. A lot, uh, some of them love this movie. Some of them hate this movie. Like, I think it's just depending on what you like yeah. in your bond, really depending on what you'll think about this movie. I did see someone who's a pretty big pundit that is a huge Bond fan really didn't like the movie, but he also didn't like Skyfall for reasons that he just, he thought that the series was making Bond, not necessarily James Bond. Like he just didn't like the characterization, even though he loves Daniel Craig, he just didn't like certain things. So that I wasn't surprised by, but other than him, I haven't seen any like big Bond fans really talking about it. Like just cause I am not in, I'm not like, you know, yeah. I, I don't follow everyone that's like a major Bond person or anything. And my brother is a big Bond fan. He liked it a lot. Like that's the closest thing I got to it. So yeah, like I'm a fan, but in terms of other Bond fans, that's not a fan I've ever I've ever really interacted with. So I like I, I think I have a general idea of how they feel about most of these movies like that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm curious how they feel now. And also, I think the legacy of this one, I think I'm curious how it will land because I can honestly see it going either way. Over time, it might grow on people. And I think over time, it might fall down for people because I think like Spectre had a like immediate reaction when it came out, but I think people thought it was generally okay, and I think it slipped a lot in the five six years since it came out uh, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, sure. and so I think it'll it, again. <laughs> the word time, it feels like I'm just trying to make a pun this whole time. <laughs> it's hard to avoid that word though. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I think it's just gonna take you know probably several years, and then we'll see what what happens with the series next. Um, but just kind of see how this movie lands with people. I don't think, I mean, obviously, if they do kill off Bond again, it'll be a couple decades down the line at the very least. Yeah, they won't do it with the next, unless the next James Bond actor is in the role for a decade or more. I don't think they're going to do it for the next Bond. Yeah, this feels like something that they could and did only do because they made the choice to make this a serialized series that they had with exactly. Craig rather rather than episodic. Yeah. It's not going to hit the same way if this happens to Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan or anybody else. Right. Because those are more connected or the, because those were not connected at all. And, and yeah. if you're going to end Daniel Craig's run, you need an ending to his arc. Basically, they set that up. You needed it. Either, he's either going to go off in the sunset and actually retire or he's going to die. And that's kind of the two ways you, you can do it. Even with all the, the bumps in the road in these movies and the missteps along the way, they're still like it ultimately like I feel like I've been on a journey with him. Like I was yeah. there when he when he got his double O status. I was there when he got his heart broken. Like I was there when he grew when he grew old, when he lost some of the most important people in his life. I was there when he found the love of his life. I was there when he left. You know, you feel like you're with him for those five years when he when he was just trying to find himself again. Mm -hmm. And you, like you feel like you've been there with him this whole time, which you're not going to get in other Bond movies and other versions of the character that we've had. Even with all the sloppiness, agree, yeah. I, I feel like I've been on a journey with him and I, I feel that in the ending. And I think, again, apart from some of the work this movie does to undercut some of that, I think on the whole, looking at it in this the scope of the series, I think it works. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Daniel Craig has been my favorite Bond. Mm -hmm. um, it helps that I, you know, was at the age to see all his movies, you know, in theaters and, and rewatch them and everything and be the Bond while I'm, while it's actually active and going on. But, yeah. you know, even just looking back on it, you know, he's it's definitely been my favorite portrayal of, of the character and he's had the best arc of any of the characters, um, of any of the, any of the other actors, obviously, because they actually you know, had the um, serialized way they did the movies. But yeah, I, I think they ended it on a strong note. It's definitely the best ending to a James Bond actor's run. Well, um, yeah, that actually had a run. <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not hard to do. 
And yeah, it's not saying too much, but you know, <laughs> it's weird because uh, Daniel, they, they definitely followed the trend of the Daniel Craig movies, which mm-hmm. is a good one. Then, uh, not so great then ended yep. up good then not so great and fi- and ended on another on a good one so it, it i i'm re- really happy with the way that they did it i'm just i'm just glad that they ended it on a on a strong pretty strong note and i i do want to see it multiple times again just to see how it how it kind of sits with me again yeah um because skyfall i've seen obviously since 2012 and that's the one i'll be comparing it to because i know it's not going to be uh up there with casino royale exactly but it's definitely in the contending spot for number 2 Again, I'll see how it how its legacy kind of takes hold with me, because um, I could see it dipping a bit for me. The stuff I don't like becoming more prevalent. I could see the stuff I like becoming stronger. I could also see it going either way, but I'm pretty sure that I'm definitely sure that I like this movie. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious where they go with the series from here. I don't want to speculate on who they're going to cast or yeah. or any of that stuff. Um, I don't have speculations. About- I have I have like people I wish they not like at least that I um, would be really cool if they if they chose them. But um, yeah, I don't even really have people that I want. Like most of the people that I've seen people bring up, I don't really want. I kind of just want a relative unknown. Like maybe he's done a couple things, kind of like Daniel Craig, who like he'd worked a little bit, but he wasn't like wasn't a star on the level of Tom Hardy or Tom Hiddleston or Richard Madden or whoever people bring up now. Like, I just yeah. kind of want someone small that can like grow into that role. I, honestly, I, I've ever since I saw crazy rich Asians, I wanted um, Henry Golding. Yeah. You've mentioned um, that. And him or Andrew Koji, who mm-hmm. were both in snake eyes, which I haven't seen and heard is not very good, but Andrew Koji <laughs> is great too. And very um, charismatic. So either of them would be great. I think taking it in a different direction would be cool but there's also some like you know if people bring up uh some of the typical like people who look like james bond and and kind of fit the role and all that and i'm like yeah they'd be good too it depends on what you do with the movies yeah i think the uh the idris elba casting that a lot of people want i'm not against but i understand that if he does it it's only one or two movies yeah and i, I, kinda, I think like, he would have been awesome but yeah he's a little too old unless you are going to do a one-off or you know like you which said, i'd honestly movie. be fine with if they if they like want to give people what they want and they're also like just want to take their time finding the next person i think that's fine just make sure people understand it's a it's a one-off and i think i think that's totally fine if they go that direction i don't think they will yeah but i don't think they will either they're pretty the broccoli family is pretty strict on what they want to do with the series and i don't think they'd ever want to do a one-off no not this not at this point but yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure it's going to be. I think they said they're going to start looking next year as if they're not looking already. Um, I, I, they might have already cast it, honestly. Yeah, for all we know. Um, yeah. I still think it's like before it'll be at least two years before we get another movie. I'm guessing it's probably oh, closer, sure. to, closer to three or four until we actually get a movie. Um, I don't think they want another six year drop between movies, though. No, I don't, I don't think we're going to get that. Right. And the reason I think they probably could have cast it already is because this movie was delayed so long. They probably had plans already of what they're doing. But yeah, I, I think three years is probably the sweet spot. Yep. So a 2024 release, I think, would be about right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. I kind of I don't I don't want waits this long anyway, because like I became a Bond fan right after Spectre came out and I didn't I didn't get a new Bond movie until this month. It's been five and a half years. I got into the series That's right when crazy. the last one came out. It's been <laughs> my entire Bond fandom has been in a peace period between Bond movies because that's just how the chips fell. Yeah, that's that's an interesting time to become a Bond fan. I know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm ready to move on. I'm glad we have just this nice little like everything's tied up in a bow. We can move on. Do you think we'll see the any of the MI6 people come back or do you think they're going to clean that slate? I think they'll probably clean the slate. I think so too. Uh, if they did, 
you know, I wouldn't mind them bringing Ray Fiennes back because he's he's great. But and and maybe even um, but you know what? Because I, I think there's no way. I, I I don't think there's a way they do it because this no, was a either. very a very uh, you know this series was tied together in such a neat bow, and the only holdover from the previous ones was Judy Dench, which mm-hmm. you know she kind of created a whole new character coming into this one. So I I don't think they're gonna bring anyone back. I don't either, but I also just like it would have been nice to have five to ten movies with with these people in those roles because I love them all. Yeah, we got everybody in like like the original roles were like 10 to 15 movies that they were all in. And I'm like, I kind of wish we could. We're obviously not getting movies that that often anymore, but I wish we could have gotten more from them. But that's just that's just how the chips fell. Like you said, I think I I highly doubt they're going to I think they're just going to clean the slate and I highly doubt they're going to bring any of them back. I think the only way nowadays because of how long it takes to make movies and get them out the only way to have an extended bond series of missions where you have the same MI6 crew is if you do a, 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 a series, a TV show um, yeah. on some service, which is possible because that's become more of the, the go-to thing to do at this point. So Amazon know. owns them now. They could easily do a prime video series. Yeah. And I, I could see them. I could see them. It, it all depends on the broccoli family because like I said, they are very strict on it, but I could see them having two ongoing bonds at the same time, a series and movies, or if they're connected and just have the series be a bunch of missions and then the movies be the more big, you know, big things. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see what they do. Um, I guess I'm kind of concerned by what Amazon ownership is going to mean in that sense. It's, it's funny. I don't want like saying that they're going to over commercialize James Bond sounds like the dumbest thing <laughs> I've ever said, but like, I guess I'm worried cause I just like, I've, I've seen what they've said before about how they want to treat IP and how they want to the stuff, the kind of stuff they want to make there. And it just it's not like not that Bond is sacred or anything, but I just hope they don't oversaturate things, I guess, is my main concern. Yeah, I, I hope not. But Amazon has so many things that make them money. I don't think they need to oversaturate James Bond. No. So I think that they, you know, I'm, I'm not going to praise Amazon, but I think they'll probably leave it with someone who is invested in the series somehow yeah. and let them kind of run it. Mm-hmm. rather than them kind of mandating what they want to do with James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. We're in a period of peacetime now between Bond movies. We'll see how long it how long it takes, although we are going to get, whenever that announcement drops, we're going to get a bunch of discourse either way. Oh, yeah. Um. So that, that whole news cycle leading into the next movie is going to be something. Oh, for sure. But yeah, this this has been a fun ride with Daniel Craig. This has been a long podcast, I'll tell you that. Yeah. We're over four hours on the recording. We'll see how the final edit ends up being. But since we both clicked record on our computers, it's been four hours and five minutes. Yeah, um, it is uh, almost 1230 on a, on a work night. Yep, it's <laughs> so, 1130 for me. I got to be up right at yeah. 5 a.m. So that's that's going to be fun. Yeah, uh, this has been a blast. We we went into more oh, yeah. detail on, on each movie than I thought we would, but conversation was going so i just said fuck it we'll go with it this was a blast thank you for coming on uh we finally did it uh we talked about everything now uh i can shut up about bond on the show for a little while (laughs) yeah this is this has been awesome thanks for having me on i mean it was a lot of fun good to actually talk to you uh i feel like we definitely we we got a groove going part way through we did yeah um because at first you know you never know when you're talking Mm -hmm. to someone new especially uh, when you can't even see, can't even see your face or anything on this, but it was a lot of fun, Nick. It was, it was, thanks for having me on. Yep. No problem. I appreciate having you on. Uh, go ahead and plug your stuff one more time before we get out of here. Yeah. I got uh Bobcat music. Just search that on YouTube. Um, that's probably the main place that you should, you can go find it. Um, and then, uh, the podcast and YouTube show, uh, movie change up. We're live on Twitch when we record, 
uh, which kind of varies. And then our show goes up every Friday. Uh, a few people do um, Disney reviews and stuff that go Disney plus reviews that go up on the weekends. But uh, yeah, just look up movie change up and you should be able to find it. All right. Awesome. Go ahead and check all of Bobby's stuff out. Check out Bobcat, especially because Bobby and Cat, they're both good friends of mine. And go ahead and check us out. Nick and May's Infinite Podcast. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. We have a YouTube channel now. So search Nick and May's Infinite Podcast. No, no, like original content there. It's just the podcast. If you want to search it out on YouTube, um, uh, there's no video or anything, but we're there if you want another platform to support us on. Uh, yeah, so go ahead, uh, listen to past episodes if you haven't. Thank you all for listening to this one. It's a long one, so I appreciate the people who stuck with us, uh, but I appreciate everybody listening, and we will see you next time.